Have you been stressed, anxious, or worried? Have you felt pangs of loneliness in recent times? Are you longing for greater connection with others in the world around you? In a phrase, are you looking for happiness? You are not alone. Millions of others are seeking this feeling of spiritual, mental, and physical wellness too. This podcast explores the underlying causes of unhappiness and shares with us the secrets of rewriting the frequent thoughts and redirecting the common behaviors that keep us in that state. Join forensic psychologist and best-selling author Dr. Nihal and her guests as they dive deep in the realm of psychological wellness and explore ways of finding happiness on demand. It's my pleasure, everyone, to introduce you to Yorona Boster. She's an amazing advanced certified life coach in parenting, loss, trauma, and infertility. So we're all in for a great treat this morning or at whatever time you're listening to this podcast. She's also an accomplished TEDx speaker and certified speaker coach who works with others to land and deliver their very best talks around the world including on the TEDx stage. She's worked in the field of early childhood for 15 years, running an early intervention program for babies birth to three with developmental delays and disabilities. In addition to her parenting podcast series called The Evolution of Parenting, which I recommend that we all look at, it can be found on Spotify, Amazon Audible, iHeartRadio, Podbean, and more. She'll be releasing Unspoken Signals, a parenting book in the winter of 2023. So that's something we're all going to look forward to. As the daughter of a Holocaust survivor, having suffered acute losses and multiple traumas herself, Yorona believes we're all trying to live a life of purpose in the finite time we have left. So Yorona, welcome and thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate your time. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey and give us some nuggets along the way, some things that you think we need to be aware of? So the thing that I have come to in the last couple of years is that loss is the only guarantee in life. But what I find to be less hopeless about that thought is that that means that the finite time we do have is really important. And my journey has been (laughs) not easy, but the interesting thing is that I don't think many people have had an easy journey of life and living. Most people hit various hurdles in their lives, and oftentimes you would never know it to see somebody. So what I've come to realize is that the face that we present to the world is just the surface. And when we're willing to dive into a person's unique experience of life, we find a wealth of knowledge and information that can be gleaned and moved forward in the desire to progress human beings and evolution and just the journey that is life, make the most out of the time we have. So for me, um, As a Holocaust survivor's daughter, I grew up with the understanding that life wasn't always fair. I grew up with the understanding that people could be cruel, but people could also be really amazing human beings. And I wouldn't be sitting here right this minute 
if it weren't for the act of kindness of complete strangers who decided to help save my father and his sister and a slew of other people. So I think that what it really pressed upon me was this idea that, you know, we can't control what happens to us. Sometimes we can't even control how we feel about the thing that happened to us, but we can control how we respond to it, our behaviors. And along the way, I started to see so many different patterns, both of loss and living and the way people parent. And when I started with losing people, that was like my first, my first experience was that, yeah, life's not fair, but nobody ever promised that. Um, when my niece was born, she was born with a severe dis uh, disability. We did not realize it until she was about five, six months. She's, we started to see that there was an issue for her. Um, and that kind of moved me onto this path of working with children with disabilities. And what I started to realize was that as I was in that path, I was watching and seeing and observing a lot of parents and I was interacting with a lot of parents. And I was coming to see the pattern of change that was happening with parents, how we used to be more authoritarian parenting. And there are still plenty of parents who parent in that authoritarian manner, but also that there was a change in the way pe people started to parent um, this, this kind of permissive, overly uh, like, I want to be friends with my child attitude. And I started to see the differences and, and where there were deficits and came to the realization that, as my sister and I like to joke, no child ever pops out with their own user-specific manual. Surprisingly, it just doesn't happen. So I came to realize that I wanted to help people on this journey of parenting because it's one of the most important roles a person will ever have. And I say that with the experience of 10 years of infertility struggles. I had two ectopic pregnancies with emergency surgeries that bookended my experience with infertility. I had three miscarriages. I, My husband and I tried to do IVF and we paid $20,000 out of pocket to have four abnormal embryos. So we couldn't transfer any of them. So at the end of that journey, um, and this was after both of my parents passing and I took care of each of my parents into their final days and their actual last, last mm -hmm. breaths, I came to realize that a lot of people on the parenting world, a lot of people who journey into parenting, make it their purpose in life. And I decided, well, I can't, I don't think I'm going to have children. So then I came to realize, well, you know what? I have a purpose here with or without children. I have a purpose. And so many people who are now opting into the child-free world feel very much like people don't recognize and acknowledge that their own existence has a purpose. And then people who decide to become parents, they just, they drive forward with this mentality. That's my own purpose. That's my only purpose. The truth is every human being is so unique that we have our own purpose here, regardless of whether or not we have children. And, and when you can look at it from that perspective, then when you take on the parenting role, it's just one role in a numerous amount of roles that you can have as a human being. And for me, once I came to that realization, I said, that means I can do something with my life. And I started to, I started to do a lot more with my life. So you're um, talking about roles and identity? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I came to realize that, you know what? 
the roles we take on as people, we take on a variety of different roles. Who we are is made up of a, of kind of a, um, both our experiences, our lived experiences, the roles we take on and the person we want to be. So, you know, there's this drive when, when you come to the realization that, oh, I can be, I'm, I'm not just here to procreate. I'm here to do something. And that's what I realized. And, and then my son decided to stick around. <laughs> <laughs> so then I got pregnant with my son and in um, January of 2017, and he decided to, to stay. And now I'm the parent of a five-year-old, and he's an amazing, it's amazing to be his parent, but that's not the only thing that I am. And so my, my desire is to drive forward that while parenting is a, an evolution in and of itself, it's only one role you take on as a human being. And you can have a variety of roles in life. You can be a friend, you can be a partner, you can be a parent, you can be um, a speaker, you can be, uh, you know, and just so many different, you know, you can have so many different roles in, in the world of, of work. You can be a philanthropist, you can, there's so many things you can be and how you affect the world is shaped only on where you decide to cap yourself. You know, I really like what you're saying because you started off by talking about loss. And a lot of my patients are dealing with losses, multiple losses, as I'm sure yours are too. And uh, the losses seem at times to be so large that they get overwhelmed and suffocated. It's like going through a bottomless tunnel and there's just darkness everywhere. Yes. Yes. But interestingly, though, you can live with loss. You can. I live with so many losses. As I was saying, you know, I took care of both of my parents um, into their deaths. I lost my niece and my nephew to their disabilities. Um, I've lost children. I've lost so many people. I recently lost, um, in February, I lost a man who we grew up together we were literally, we were together since, since babies, since infancy, practically, and uh, had our diapers changed with each other. So to me, he was my brother. I didn't know my life prior to him being in it. And, um, and he passed away this past February, um, of also of cancer. And it, it hurts. It's not that I minimize grief. Here, here's the thing about grief. I believe grief is a rubber band. I don't think that there's a start and an end to grief. I think it's more of a cycle. I think that what happens though, is that there's this beautiful um, analogy that was back from in the nineties that some, and I can't remember the name of this author, but she explains that it's not that the grief grows smaller, but your life grows bigger around the grief. So the grief is this, it takes up a space in your heart. But as time moves on, it's not that time heals that grief. It's that your life keeps growing and things keep happening and life keeps moving in this, in this trajectory, this forward momentum. But your grief comes along with it. So when I look at grief, I look at it more from a rubber band concept. Um, imagine when you first experience grief, that rubber band is super tight. And it's, it, it's just this constricting band around you. And it, the pain of it is really, really excessive. But, 
as time moves on, the elasticity of that rubber band starts to stretch. If you've ever seen like um, an old, uh, you know, bundle of something that's been wrapped with a rubber band and then put away somewhere, over time that rubber band starts to dis- that rubber starts to disintegrate a little bit. It start the, the elasticity starts to stretch. The thing about grief is that every once in a while something might happen, and that rubber band snaps back in place, and the pain you felt when you initially experienced it can be just as consuming as that initial time. But then this starts to widen again, then it starts to loosen, it starts to lose its elasticity again. So a lot of times that's the trigger effect, you know, like um, something happens and it triggers, it pulls you right back into that moment of grief response. And as long as you can allow it to be there and not deny its place in your life, you can move forward through it instead of trying to run around it in circles and avoid it at all costs. I, I, I believe that loss has a purpose and it teaches us so much if we allow it to teach us. But if we decide, nope, not going there. I'm not going to look at this. I'm not going to pay attention. No, no, no. I know this happened in my life, but I don't want to look at it. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to I want to avoid it at all costs. What happens is it sits there and it becomes this burden of a boulder on our shoulders that we carry. But we don't have to allow it to just be this burdensome boulder. We can actually put it down, examine it, really look at it and try to understand it better. And with that boulder, we can move on and it becomes a lot lighter of a burden. I I feel that so many people think that they're going to lose themselves to the grief and the loss and that fear is too much of a burden in and of itself to be able to process the loss but if you have the right kind of support systems you can process the loss i guess you're talking about loss and meaning and david kessler talks about meaning as a crucial part of grief. And I think what you're saying makes so much sense in the sense that you're looking at loss as a gain, as a form of growth. You talk about a trajectory in a rubber band disintegrating, just like the ashes disintegrate. And out of that, the phoenix rises from the ashes. And I like that metaphor of growth. So loss is something you embrace because it causes growth. Yes, it does. Then tell me a little bit about how that relates to happiness from your perspective. So it's really interesting. And I know a lot of people couldn't understand this at the time. But when my father was dying, when I first took over as his caregiver, um, when his cancer returned, he had a 10-year struggle with cancer in and out of remission. And then when it finally returned, it returned to the bones and we knew it was just a matter of time. When I was allowed to take care of him, and I do believe it was an allowance, um, I was granted the opportunity to care for his needs. I felt honored to be able to do that, even while I was hurting. But it also allowed me this beautiful, precious time with him. We spent that time finishing up this book that we that we were working on called Conversations with My Father, and it was really beautiful. 
and we talked about a lot of things and sometimes we just sat with each other in that presence and that feeling of love that resided between us and for me it was a gift it was a gift of time now i know that not everybody gets that because sometimes loss it happens immediately but what it did for me is it allowed me to realize that the time that i have with people is so precious i cannot take it for granted because you are not promised tomorrow no one is promised tomorrow the only thing we're promised is the present moment in fact it's not even a promise it's a it's a privilege to have this present moment so i started to look at it with love and appreciation for what it was and becoming my father's caregiver was a blessing because i got to give him something that he gave me as a parent you know that caring again it doesn't come without its problems i had issues with my father i had issues with my mother i had you know we we all have our issues they were not perfect parents but one thing that i i i did note is that i started to not just allow them to uh, be memorialized in my mind as my parents that that role that they took but i actually started to learn things about them and learn things that about ways i was like them learn things about ways that i was like them that i didn't like so much i started to learn how do i want to move forward with this understanding of who they are and who they were to me in everything they were and it it grew this beautiful love and appreciation for the time we had i i noticed that after my father was gone my mother changed significantly she softened she let go of anger and resentment and she started we started to really get close in this beautiful friendship so i was granted this friendship with my mother that i hadn't had previously as a part of the experience of my father's loss there there are nuggets there are these golden nuggets if you're willing to uncover them it's kind of like a it is a mental reframe uh, but the thing is holding on to bitterness and resentment doesn't help me i've never seen one person that can tell me that their bitterness and anger and resentment helps them in any way shape or form anger can be re a real great stimulant to get moving to move forward onto something and to make something happen but that conversion from anger into something else needs to convert eventually because if it doesn't it starts to harden you not i don't know about you but there's not one single person i've ever met who said yep my resentment is helping me live my life well yep my anger makes my life better nothing about that helps you it can stimulate something but where do you go from there and what does it stimulate so for me it stimulated love and appreciation for the time i have with the people that i love and then it created in in me also this desire to just be exactly me with people no more no less not try to put on a false front not try to be toxically positive because i don't believe in that i believe that if i step forward into a space and i'm feeling not so great I need to say that 
And he'd say, hey, you know what? I'm showing up today a little bit, eh, a little off. And it helps produce a much more genuine conversation, a much more genuine response, and a much more genuine human connection. So you're talking about the authentic self. And oh, what, yeah. what you're sharing with us is the gift of authenticity. And anger, for me, is usually something I embrace. Because for me, anger is wonderful. What's underlying the anger? I love being a detective, Yorona. Uh, what's under that? What's fueling it? And could it be hurt? Should we be looking at that? And I, I just find it liberating, and I'm sure you do as well, when you can get your client to move in, dive deep, and then pull it out. Yes. You know what I find lives under anger a lot? Fear. Yeah, there is fear. There's also a lot of hurt. Oh, so much hurt. So much hurt. You know, it's it's the hurt that is the when you dive really deep and you get into that, you're really digging deep into quicksand because no one really wants to go there with you, you know? And you yourself might feel a little bit like you're going a bit too far and there's no life jacket or anything to help you, right? That's true. That's true. You're left with your own need to pull yourself back out of that. Um, I was doing a show once and I I had somebody who wrote in a message that said we were talking about loss. And I said, you know, for me, reliving the memories of my loved ones who I've lost, but not just the good memories, but all of them, the messy ones, the, the, the not so great ones, the, you know, the mundane stuff, all of it, li- reliving them exactly as who they were, not some perfect creation. You know, sometimes when we eulogize somebody, we talk about all their wonderful self. When I talk about people who I've lost, and if I really delve into it, I really talk about all of it. You know, my mother was not always the best mother. My father was not the best father. There were a lot about them that were imperfect human beings, you know. Um, but what it does is it helps me relive them in my heart and my memories. And and it really does help me keep them alive and moving forward with me. You know, there was a, when I lost my father, was somebody who came to pay her respects, she gave me a card and it said to live in the hearts of others is to never truly be gone. And that really helped me to think about how do I want those people I've lost to live in my hearts. But one of the things I've learned is that if I relive everything they were, not just the good, but the painful parts, the mundane, the everyday stuff, the mistakes they made, then they really stay alive for me. And this person who wrote in said, well, when, when she thinks about the people she's lost, she just starts to cry and she's afraid that she's going to lose herself to that. Like she's just going to not be able to get out of that pain. And pain can feel like a bit of a, a vortex circling the drain and you can't really get out of it. But the thing is, inevitably, it's got to go somewhere. And what I found is that if you dive into that that ocean of pain, at the bottom of it is an Atlantis of beautiful memories and beautiful, just absolutely extraordinary beauty. And you can't get there without diving into the pain and the hurt. Sometimes you really need to go through it in order to actually get to the other side of it. Blocking it kind of it shuts off everything 
when you put a block in place, you put a block to both the good and the bad stuff. And there is the ability to actually reflect and look and find the good, even if there are very few and far between. I like the fact that you're talking about keeping the legacy alive. And I think that that's so important in what you're teaching people in terms of grief, finding meaning. And one of the things I underscore is you never really recover. And if you are aware of that and what that means, you can move forward and you can embrace it. But some people feel guilty for wanting to move forward because that means I didn't love him enough. You know, I'm sure you, you've had to deal with that as well. Yes. So that is so interesting. What you said about recovery, a lot of people think about recovery as like they'll recover the person they were, but you can't. With a particular, with every experience you have in life, you can never go back to the person you were, but you can go forward into the person you want to be. So that the whole idea about recovery, it's more like, well, I just want to be that, that innocent person who once, who didn't have that experience. I just want to be the person who I was before. But that's not possible, not as human beings, especially in the in light of progress. And I think about that from um, more of a humanity perspective, right? Humanity does this very interesting thing. Civilization has done this really interesting thing of, of progressing. We're, we're kind of in this constant forward momentum. However, we also have moments of regression and then progression, regression, progression, regression, progression. The thing about that is we never regress all the way back, right? We're never going to be cavemen again. We 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 just <laughs> right? Thank heavens. I don't want to go back there, do you? We can't do that. But what's very interesting is we can learn from who we were back then. When you think about the survival mechanism, right? The survival mechanism that taught us, okay, um, what's very interesting is psychology will tell you if you look at humans from an evolutionary perspective and you look at the survival mechanism, one of the things that we learned and how humans survived is by looking for things that are different, different equated to danger, because we had situations where you'd walk into a cave, a saber-toothed tiger looks different than you, attacks your loved one, kills your loved one. Okay, that's different. I need to avoid that. And what happened as a result of civilization moving forward and advancing is that different became something to fear. So we've always been moving in this weird trajectory of the more civilized we become, the more advanced we become, the more survival we do. We also have to walk hand in hand with the fear of difference. And what I say is that at this point, we've gotten to a place where we can investigate difference from a place of safety. So A, that looks different from me, but it may just be that I don't understand it. I can investigate this from a perspective of objectivity rather than from a perspective of fear. It's like what happens when people, you know, uh, get into this mechanism of that person looks different than me, acts different than me, therefore is something I should fear. And therefore, and often again, fear moves into anger and anger moves into hatred. You know, you've, you, I mean, you're in the States right now. I'm in Canada yeah. and for sure, you know, polarization is a problem. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's actually another pandemic. It is. 
you know. And so, yeah, and that I think would uh, take away some some of our happiness. I'm into happiness. And I think, as you said, quite correctly, I don't believe in toxic positivity, but a lot of people are experiencing eco-anxiety. A lot of people are experiencing loss uh, on multiple levels, loss of income, loss of job. So many things have happened post-pandemic. So I talk about post-pandemic stress. And I wonder if you have any advice you want to give our listeners today? On, on post-pandemic stress? On anything relating to you and your specializations. For sure. example, if, if a client comes to you, just like you went through that angst of not being able to carry a child through pregnancy and yeah. that sort of thing, anything you want to share with us would be yeah. really appreciated. Sure. Um, I'll touch on each thing where I talk about, you know, you've heard me talk a lot about loss. And I will say that I, when it comes to loss, I think if you're willing to dive into it with support systems in place, then that's really helpful to get some objective perspective on your loss. So I say, you know, allow yourself the recognition that if you're going to move forward with that loss, you need help. Support works. If you isolate yourself in a bubble, when it comes to anything with whether it's loss, infertility, parenting, when you isolate yourself, you're going to have a very hard time moving forward. So the first thing you want to do is look for support systems. And there, and when it comes to loss, there are tons of bereavement groups. When it comes to infertility, there is a really amazing prog- uh, um, thing in America called Resolve, and they're the National Infertility Association. They're a nonprofit organization that's dedicated to helping people in the world of infertility. We now have statistics that say one out of six people are affected by globally by infertility. It is a disease categorized by the CDC as a disease. So we need to understand that infertility is not going away, but there is support out there. Don't be afraid to talk or about it or look for the support that you need because there are people in that. When it comes to parenting, I'm going to tell you this one thing. We all make mistakes. Absolutely. Guarantee. Again, there's nobody has yet popped out a child with their own user-specific manual. That being the case, we're kind of always at a deficit. And something I want to tell people, really importantly, is that your child is not a blank slate. Um, we understand psychologically, there's a, enough research now to show that the personality traits, behaviors, and mental health is actually already predetermined, pre-coded into your G- DNA, 40 to 60% of your makeup is already predetermined in that way. That means you're always working at a slight deficit or a slight potential positive when it comes to the ability to influence your child. So, Assume you're going to make mistakes. There is no such thing as perfect parenting, but you can grow with those mistakes. And it's really important to find the right kind of places that you need the right, the, the support to be the best parent you want to be. So if you're looking for parenting support, there's tons of that out there, but just know, don't blame yourself for the mistakes you made. Work hard to make improvements on those mistakes and own them in front of your child really important. Well, I appreciate everything you've shared with us, Jerona. And uh, if there's anything else you'd like to share with us, please do. Um, 
Let's see. Yeah, uh, you're more than welcome to listen to my podcast, The Evolution of Parenting. Um, as you said, it's uh, it's all over the place. It's on Spotify. It's on iHeartRadio. It's on Amazon Audible. Um, the original place where you can find it is on Podbean. It's also on Podchaser. I can't even remember all the places. It's going to be on Apple soon as well. Um, I am writing my book, so that should be out at the end of this year. It's called Unspoken Signals, uh, Essential Parenting Skills to Raise Emotionally Secure Children. And that will be out at the end of this year. And I do, I do go around and I do a lot of speaking engagements. And another thing I just want to tell you is that I will be launching a, par- a group parenting coaching program come January. So if you're interested in that, anybody can reach out to me on my website, footprintscoaching.org and email me, Yorona at footprintscoaching.org. And I, I hope that whatever you, you do in life, you do it with your full authenticity and the full realization that humans are essentially imperfect creatures. But if you're working towards progress, that's that's the ultimate goal and whatever that progress means to you. Thank you so very much. On behalf of my listeners, I want to say thank you and we look forward to reading your book when it comes out. Bye now. Thank you for joining this discussion on happiness. We hope this helps to inspire you to lead a more joyful life. To dive deeper into the subject of happiness, be sure to check out Dr. Nihal's book, Happy is the New Healthy, available as an ebook or hardcover. For additional resources, visit our website at drnihal.com. Until next time, stay happy.